Hi and welcome to the Prayer Houses podcast channel. Uh, we're glad you found this sermon online and decided to tune in. Before we jump into this week's sermon, I just wanted to quickly highlight Weymouth Camp happening from the 23rd of July to the 28th of July. It's a kids camp for 8 to 13 year olds and it happens at Locks Lane in Shaftesbury. If you want more information about this, you can head to our website prayerhouse.uk forward slash camp. That's prayerhouse.uk forward slash camp and all the information's there and uh, the registration forms are also on that same page. If you'd like to get an idea of what camp looks like, you can head to our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram to get an idea of what sort of the vibe is um, at Weymouth Camp. So we'd love to see you there. If you are 16 uh, or over, you can apply to be a tent leader, a camp leader at the camp. So the forms for that and the information for that is also on the same website. So that's prayerhouse.uk forward slash camp. This sermon is from one of our Sunday meetings um, by Paul and it's an important message for a time like this. Um, this sermon, by the end of it, it may raise a few more questions than you had or maybe you might just need some more clarity because it tackles some very important topics. If you want to talk more, please let us know. You can either come to our office at Chapel Hay that's DT48LL during the week, or you can email us at admin at prayerhouse.uk. That's admin at prayerhouse.uk. There will also be a follow-up sermon on the same topics and similar things. So um, as you listen to this, just bear in mind that there is a part two coming up as well. We hope this is a blessing to you. Here's Paul. You know, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, kingdom culture. And if we take the definition of an apostle, just for argument's sake, is that it is somebody who is sent out to establish the culture of the kingdom they're sent from. Can we go with that? And it's a secular term that Paul the Apostle and Jesus and the others used, and they used it on purpose because it didn't have kind of priestly baggage or any of those kinds of things and it kind of helps people to understand and they would have understood what was being talked about and so I wanted to talk a little bit about that because we that's why we're here that's what we're called to do and each one of us is called we are part of an apostolic mission of Jesus and whether we would see ourselves as qualified to be one of the 12 the new, the new version or whether we feel like, well, I don't even want to use that term in relation to myself. It is, to, it is about the mission of God's church. It is an apostolic mission. Um, but I thought, do you know what? I'd like to just back up a little bit and just think about some of the things that are currently going on in our, our culture. And it was Ryan's dream, really, that kind of prompted me. And um, <clears throat> there is an ant, a kind of ant that lives in high up in the rainforest canopy. And its um, communities live all together like ants do, and they're part of this amazing community. And they go from leaf to leaf right high up and rarely come down to the ground, unless for some reason the place they're kind of displaced or something, or 
the bridge is broken and then they might have to come down the tree. Anyway, there's a particular, this particular kind of ant is called a bullet ant and you might find it in the jungles of Thailand. But there are other examples of the same thing where the, some of the things are slightly different, the specific details. And there is this fungus that drops its spores onto the bodies of these ants only when they're on the forest floor because they've come down to a level that they don't belong at. And there they are, scurrying around on the forest floor, trying to get back up to where they belong. And it's called Ophiocordyceps. Not gonna be an exam on this, so you can forget that straight away. <laughs> but it's a kind of fungus, and it drops its spores on the bodies of these ants. And then somehow these spores exert a kind of mechanical pressure and secrete enzymes. And they find they get their way inside the actual crusty body or the carapace of the ant. And then the ant carries on living its life, seemingly unaffected. But actually what's happening is this thing is now sending little... I don't know if any, anyone knows any, any gardeners know anything about fungus. They have a network of communication called hyphae, and they're like tiny little microscopic tubes. And fungus are among the biggest organisms in the world, some of them, certain species of fungus. And they, we see the mushrooms, but underneath is this massive network of communication. And they just to make you super paranoid, they do communicate with each other. <laughs> Okay, so these hyphae go into the body of the ant and they do affect its mind slightly, but they take over its muscles and kind of direct its, the course of its life from that time on. So this ant has now been taken over by this other organism that is now controlling its life. And so what it will do, it will climb up onto the underside of a particular leaf on a particular plant, a particular height above the ground, and it locks its mandibles into the vein of the leaf of this plant and stays there, unable to move. It's literally still alive, but it's lockjawed onto the vein of this leaf. And then what gradually happens is the fungus inside this ant takes over and pushes out its fruiting body into the, the air. And it's still living off this ant that's slowly dying. And it begins to produce its own spores, which guess what happens? They drop down from the underside of the leaf onto the bodies of other ants as they're... Incredible, isn't it? It's called the zombie fungus. You can look it up and you see some cool videos. David Attenborough featured it in one of his, um, whatever, one of his videos, one of his movies. But the thing is, what struck me was they, they've done a lot, of, they're really interested in this because it's the way this ant is completely taken over by this thing. And they found that it had still got a functioning brain, but it had kind of been influenced, but its body had begun to cooperate with the agenda of this fungus. And it just made me have a slight chill 
because many of you know that our daughter suffered from anorexia and her body and her mind were still functioning. She was alive. But it was as if her body and her mind had been taken over by something else. We've spoken to many, many parents of children who've had anorexia and people who have got no faith at all have said to us, it's like it's demonic, anorexia. It's like it's somehow taken hold of our young person and they are controlled by it in a way that is totally out of character. So this ant behaves in a way that is totally out of character. I think this is it's really important to understand. And so what's happened is these things have dropped casually onto the body of this ant, and it's been taken over by something with a very different agenda. And the whole purpose of this fungus is not to make the ant look great, it's to use the ant to spread its own spores so it can continue its own life cycle agenda. If you are not suffering from an eating disorder and you look at certain hashtags on Instagram, you will be horrified at what you see because it's, it's like some evil, like Ryan was saying, some evil, dark, demonic thing is inducing young, a lot of young girls, but also boys as well, to starve themselves literally to the point of death in the mistaken belief that they are doing the right thing. It's like you and I, if we, someone says fast, we want to go straight to the fridge and raid it because if they're going to some pastor's going to suggest we do a one-day fast in the church. We better get some calories on board because we'll probably die by the afternoon of the first. You know, it's, it's like it's such an instinctive thing to eat, isn't it? If we haven't had any lunch by about 2.30, we're, we're wanting to go and buy a Mars bar. Me. I, I'm including us in it. In it. But it's kind of normal, isn't it? It's such a strongly inbuilt thing in us to eat that to the idea of not eating on purpose, voluntarily, not just like one day fast, but days, weeks, months, to the point where there is literally no flesh left on your entire body and your brain actually is no longer functioning at all properly, except in its ability to detect calories. But so what happens somehow these ideas get into our young people and become a powerful persuasion, a powerful delusion. I'm not saying it's a fungus, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're all be the fungus is the next threat. What I'm saying is this is a metaphor for how the evil one operates. Now I'm going to say something which might cause a little bit of alarm, but I do believe that there is such a thing as a social contagion, where a view becomes taken on by society at large, or a significant section of society, and it somehow has this same power which takes over and we begin to buy the lie 
and begin to be affected by it. And it's like it's taken over now. Now, there is such a thing as trans-activism. There has always been a small number of people in the population who have questioned whether they were born in the wrong body. But it was usually men. And it was usually a very, it was a very small percentage. And they usually grew out of it if it was kind of just gently not given much airtime. But it was almost invariably men, boys, who had this sense. But now what's happened is it's primarily girls who want to become trans, who say they're trans and want to become male. But this, this isn't just a passive thing that some person unconnected from anybody else has just had this thought one day when they've woken up in the morning and thought, do you know what, maybe I'm a guy. But actually there is a lot, there's a huge amount of spores being dropped from a lot of leaves onto a lot of young people through social media and through trans activism. And so that there are people whose intention is to create a movement out of this and declare that trans are part of, they are a community. So we have the LGBTQ plus, we'll miss one out, I think, community. It isn't a community at all. These are people with very different agendas who somebody sweeps all up together to try and make it seem like a lot of people. And we then celebrate Pride Week, Pride Month, whole month. And we tell our children that actually this is normal, or the children are being sprinkled with these spores that say this is normal. Now, if we think through where it all goes, <clears throat> it goes to producing infertile people who can't naturally have children without um, some kind of intervention where we've got surrogacy or reproductive technologies, which are hugely if you want to invest your money in something that's going to make a lot at the moment, invest. I'm not saying you should, but that is, do you know what I mean? Reproductive technologies is the big business of our day. And if, when, it's really interesting if you watch a detective program, they'll always say, if you want to find out who's behind it, follow the money. No one's following the money. We're all drinking the Kool-Aid and the these spores are dropping on our young people. Now, if we're gonna be talking about the culture of the kingdom, there could be nothing quite so far from the culture of the kingdom as some of the stuff that's going on, indoctrinating and spreading like a fungus, really, um, than some of these ideas. Now, I can say that because I've watched what it does to my daughter. And you can say, oh, it's very different. Uncertainty about your gender and everything is very different. Yes, it is, but it's still being fed intentionally by people who have another agenda. And behind that, I actually do believe that what Ryan's saying is right, is there are demonic personalities. There are demonic 
beings driving these things forward. And there are people spending, investing a lot of money and making a lot of money out of the whole thing. Let's just have a little think about this poor little ant. Its body has been taken over by something it didn't invite. It just was in the wrong place. Now, when our young person was about 14 or so, she would take her phone to bed with her. And Anna would say, don't take your phone to bed with you. Plug it in outside your room and charge it overnight. I don't want you being on the phone all night. Guess what? There was a robust discussion about it. And guess who wasn't quite as tough over it as he should have been? Me, the dad. So instead of saying, jolly well goes out there, otherwise you don't have it at all, and just being like an annoying, predictable, rhinoceros type of dad, I was like, well, you know, kind of, mm, you have to trust people and all of this kind of thing. I think I made a mistake. And what happened in reality was that throughout the late evening, early on into the night, our young person was receiving texts from friends saying, I want to kill myself. I've got all the tablets. I'm ready to do it. Mum and dad are out. And she was fielding those kind of questions at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And she was not equipped to pastor those people through those situations. She wasn't qualified, and she didn't know when it was real and when it was just a threat. And we used to say to her, give us the phone. And sometimes we would contact the parents of the children in concern because we knew them, and we'd say, look, there's a bit of an issue going on. We think you should probably get home, and so on. But can you see how this was not just a passive thing? Having the phone there was not just passive. It was not just a convenient alarm clock. It was actually an access point where the enemy who wanted to destroy our child was able to get all kinds of influences into her heart. And I'm not saying that was solely it, but it was certainly part of it. So we need to understand what's going on, I think, and understand this. Let's just have a little look at the Bible because it'll cheer us up. <laughs> right, so our bodies, going back to the little ant with his body. One of the things that is a mistake, and it kind of comes from the Greek, so it's quite an old mistake that people have been making for a long time, is that somehow... Faith and spirituality is different from, it's not connected to the body. Well, Paul the Apostle says something really different. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says um, in verse 19, he says, listen to this. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Shall I say it again? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? If we read the whole passage, what he's saying is, run away, flee from sexual immorality, 
and understand that your body is actually a somehow a member of Christ. Somehow our bodies are connected to Jesus. Let's read it. Let's read a bit further back. He says, verse 15, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one in body, one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Paul goes on to say in the second book to the Corinthians that actually we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we've done in our bodies. It's really interesting because it's catching up with a lot of people, isn't it? They've committed certain acts in their bodies like 20, 30, 40 years ago, and it all comes out because of the Me Too movement. Thank God for the Me Too movement, I think, because it's helping people to face up to things that current up until now they've got away with, but actually we can't say, oh, that was then, I was somebody else then. No, it's actually me still. It was still my body that did those things. And then there's a, there's a kind of often a catching up with us in this life, but ultimately there will be a catching up with us when we meet Jesus. And so it's pretty serious what we get up to in our bodies. We can't just give ourselves time off and say it doesn't matter today. It matters every single day how we choose to live. And what Paul's saying here is nobody makes you commit adultery. Nobody makes you sleep with a prostitute. That's a choice. That is you making a choice. And actually, one day, that choice will be... We'll have to discuss that with Jesus. I think it'll be a short discussion. So anyway, so what he's saying here is that your body... And I think it's really important that we understand that God has a purpose for our bodies. It's important that we look after them, we take good care of them, we feed them properly... But actually, God has a purpose for our bodies, and that is that he wants to dwell in them by his Holy Spirit. And he wants us then to go around doing the kind of stuff that Jesus did when he was in his body on the earth. Right, we don't have a long time to do all of these things. But I just have a quick look in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Because what we're going to try and do is just establish a bit of a baseline. So Paul says, uh, verse chap uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. You must no longer. So becoming a Christian means we ditch that old way of thinking. And as we take on Jesus and we surrender to him, we're changing our minds. Repentance 
is about changing our minds. It's about changing what we do and changing our minds. And so he says, and, and he's identifying the culture around him as being futile. But it, where is it coming from? It's coming from the mind. These were intelligent people. Ephesus is, it was a thriving city and it was full of culture and full of Greeks and full of learning and it had a massive library. And actually he's saying these people are deceived, their minds are futile. And he says, so I'm saying to you, no longer walk like they did in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They think they're smart, but they're not. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So it's because they haven't opened their hearts up to God. And he says, they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Well, we do see that, don't we? And it's like stuffed in our faces every single day, which is quite hard, really. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. So we're not going to live like that anymore. We're going to put that off. And, and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, to put on the new self, listen to this, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God's intention is that having saved us, he creates us in his likeness. That is very different to what we see around us. That's very different to what we see being celebrated in Pride Month. I saw a, a, a video, uh, sorry, a, a post, and it said, God loves pride. Actually, no, he doesn't. And it would help to get that one clear. God does not love pride. Pride comes before destruction, the Bible says, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is saying to God, I don't need you. I can do it fine myself. Thank you very much. You see, if we're going to have a, if we're going to be a church that has a kingdom culture, we need to establish some baselines. If there's a discussion, God will be right and we will be wrong if there's a difference of opinion. And every person who comes to Jesus has to repent. That's the deal. So we come to Jesus on the basis of repentance. If someone comes to me and says, Paul, I'm in an adulterous relationship, but I want to follow Jesus, what would I say? I would say, brilliant. Let's get on our knees before Jesus. And let's pray this prayer. It goes something like this, God, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I need what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. But then if I say, that's great, well done, good prayer, well done, off you go then. Then I've not helped them, have I? Because repentance is followed by action. It, it kind of implies action. So it doesn't just mean that I say sorry and then carry on doing the same thing. But it means I say, sorry, Jesus, now I want to live your way. So help me, God. And it's going to cost me to do it. it someone once said, 
it costs a lot to say yes to Jesus, but it costs a whole lot more to say no. Which <laughs> is kind of, yeah. Okay. I think just one, uh, just one more verse, which is a really important one. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, many of you will know it by heart. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the word therefore conformed, it means to be constructed in the same likeness, to take on the same outward appearance. And if you look at us superficially when we're walking through town, we probably wouldn't look very different to the people around us, and that's actually how it's meant to be, isn't it? We're meant to look like human beings, because we are. But fundamentally, on the inside, something has changed. The value that I base my life on is no longer, what can I get out of this? How does this please me? How does this serve my needs? But it's about... Jesus, what do you want in this situation? So here I am in this decision I have in front of me. How do I please you and serve you in this decision? And so um, we're not being conformed. We're not trying to fit in. Actually, we won't fit in. Jesus promised us that. He said, if they hated me, they'll probably hate you. In fact, he didn't say probably. He said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. And you'll get yourself in a lot of trouble if you want to follow me. So we are not just trying to be slightly different. We're trying to follow Jesus, who is completely different. This is a whole different kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's something entirely different. And so when we talk about the kingdom culture, if we could, there's a few verses here that would stick in our minds. Created after the likeness of God in true holiness and purity. He's creating us after his own heart. He's given us a partnership in that, that we would choose to be um, transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we make a choice that where what I want is it loggerheads with what God wants, and I choose what he wants. So I, yeah. There was a teacher who you could probably find, his name's Kevin Lister, and he recently was dismissed because he got in a bit of difficulty over a transgender student because he wouldn't use their new name they wanted to use until he had parental consent. So he raised a safeguarding concern, and in the end, the school sacked him for that. So you can find that, that kind of thing. What I'm saying is this is not something that's passive. This is an active thing that's going on out here. These spores that are landing on our children are at exactly the right level for them to get. They're exactly designed to penetrate their armor and get in and take over their hearts and minds. But it's not just our kids, but it's you too and me too. It's aggressive. It's intentional. The guy with the sharp teeth and the nasty eyes, he's not your friend. 
He doesn't love you. There have been times in my life where I've been tempted to the point I'm just thinking, oh, Jesus, help me. And then I realize the devil hates me. He's trying to destroy me. Ah, I get it. Right. Satan, you do not love me. I'm not listening to you. Go away. You have no love or compassion for me. That is intentional, isn't it? He, he's a, he knows what he wants. Anyway, let's pray. And I think just let's take the warning and take that, take heed of what's being said this morning. We don't say these things because we want a big, nasty social media following of haters, of people who want to say nasty things and get clickbait. We're saying these things because we absolutely believe this is a crisis that is affecting our gosh our time so let's not be distracted should we stand on our feet and i think just what god has been touching you over this morning then let's do business with god about that i don't want to kind of try and say a generic catch-all prayer but just where you are just say god come on help me this is where i've made this is where i need to change Ask God to show you how you hand him parental control of your phone. Yeah. It's so easy to think, oh, I'm going to go to my Bible app. And then we see Facebook message come up. Nothing wrong with a Facebook message, but it's like a distraction, isn't it? Maybe we should say, I'm going to turn my phone off while I'm in church and actually bring a Bible with, it, with pages in it. Who's embarrassed? to lug their Bible around with them. Do you know what? Sometimes I, I'm a preacher. Sometimes I think, oh, walking along with my Bible under my arm, I feel a bit silly. Do you know what I mean? It's my job. But I still, do you know what I mean? So if I feel like it, I bet some of you guys do. So bring your Bible next time. Turn your phone off. Let's make some, when we're waiting on the Lord in the morning or whenever we do it, why don't we turn our phone off? No, probably nothing bad will happen. It's worth a try, at least once. Jesus, we confess to you, we're vulnerable. Well, even when we think we're strong and, and we've got it together, we're still vulnerable. Lord, so we're asking that you'll help us. Lord, we pray for our children, our grandchildren. We pray for this generation growing up around us who we love so much. Lord, we can see all the confusion and challenges that they're facing, and we don't see half of it. Lord, but we're asking, God, that you'll help us to mentor and disciple the generations around us in a great way. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see people who really do authentically represent Jesus in the earth, in our community, in our homes, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. If anyone wants to talk to me about any of that, go on. Do you want to say something? Yeah, that's really good, actually. So just to be really clear, I don't want to leave you in a space of place of fear, but actually that he's given us all we need. He is the power over every other power. His name is above every name. And we, when we commit ourselves to him, he's able to keep us and present us faultless before the throne of God. So why don't we say that? Jesus, thank you. 
that you're able to keep me and present me faultless and my children, my children's children, present me faultless before the throne of grace with exceeding joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Martin. Like we mentioned earlier, there is a part two coming up next week. We hope that you'll be able to listen to that as well. If you wanted to get in touch with us, ask questions, um, let us know what you thought, um, you can do that by emailing admin at prayerhouse.uk. That's admin at prayerhouse.uk. You can also text 07514-774491. That's 07514-774491. And we might be able to fix up a time for you to have a chat with us in person at Chapel Hay during the week. God bless you and we hope you can join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at Holy Trinity School. It's DT49QX. It's DT49QX. We'd love to see you there.